up, everybody? Welcome back to Driving to the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, here to monologue at you today about Sadiq Bay. Hope you guys are all doing well, and sorry for getting this up a little bit late. Typically, we like to have these episodes up late on Tuesday night, very early in the morning on Wednesday. Uh, it ended up getting a bit delayed, so this one, I suspect, will be going up around, I don't know, about 1 o'clock Eastern on Wednesday. So, in any case, uh, let's launch right into it. So, Sadiq Bey, uh, the favorite of, or one of the favorites, rather, of just about everybody, uh, myself included, believe it or not, uh, despite the fact that I've been critical at points of him. So, uh, that criticism, for the most part, was, uh, I suppose, actually, if you've been listening to this show for a long time, uh, there was quite a bit of criticism in the early stages of this last season. Most of that actually was reflected on the coaching staff. So, we'll get to that in a moment. So, uh, Sadiq, 82-game Ironman, one of the only one of only two starters in the NBA to play all 82 games, though that was, to be fair, in part because of COVID, nonetheless, still very impressive to play all 82 games. Uh, the other one was Mikal Bridges. The season before that, also an Ironman, not in terms of being a starter, but the only two games he missed were from DMPs earlier in the, early in the season, so definitely a very durable player to this stage in his career. We hope that continues. Very durable despite being a very hard worker on the court and off the court, by all accounts. So this past season was less a tale of two seasons for Bay than it was because, you know, very two very different segments of the season. We separated into those. So it was more a tale of like the first quarter or so of the season and then the rest of it. So you look at the first segment of the season for him. This was games one through 26. So from the beginning of the season up until the middle of December. So starting from summer league, this coaching staff had had Bay running this horribly ham-fisted experiment of, hey, Sadiq, why don't you, we're just going to have you give the ball, give you the ball at the perimeter, and we want you to take it, and we want you to score with it, as if that's not the absolute most difficult thing to do in the NBA on offense. And also, you know, as if Bay's athletic limitations, which are real, uh, were not just not a factor. And, and they are a factor in terms of his ability to attack off the dribble. Uh, because... Sadiq has many strengths, and unfortunately, explosiveness and high top speed are not amongst those. He's below average in both capacities, below average as a leaper as well, and he doesn't have the good handle that you really need to compensate for being below average in the first two of those qualities. But in any case, so he was set along that path, and the result was an unmitigated disaster. I mean, he was absolutely terrible. Uh, statistically speaking, uh, 12 points, six rebounds, two assists, about 34.5% from the field, 29.6% from two, and his true shooting percentage, 44.2% to that point. Amongst starters who were taking a decent volume of shots, he was the second worst in the league, and a net rating of about negative 13.5, destroyed the lineups of which he was part on offense, uh, about a negative 11 on slash off, uh, you know, on off differential basically means that the team is tremendously better without him on the floor. And almost all of his big minute teammates were way worse with him. Just the true shooting of the team with him, the efficiency rather, uh, just the team with him on the floor was was awful. I suppose you could look at effective field goal percentage better there, but whatever the case, uh, he was just a ball stopper, a horrible black hole, and an awful shooter. Basically, he'd, he'd have four types of shots. He'd try from the perimeter. Uh, he would drive in for a flat-footed layup through like double or triple coverage he would drive in for a floater through contact from like six or seven feet away 
he would drive in and take a low percentage mid-range pull-up, or he would take, or he would post up and take a bad turnaround. He was bad at all of these things, and he became completely unglued on both ends. Like his even his three-point shooting, of course, struggled a lot, and he was awful on defense, and things were just bad. He was bad. The team was bad with him on the floor, and in the middle of December, on uh, December. 14th, I believe, 13th, 14th, whatever. It was a game against the Pacers. Uh, you saw his role drastically change. Like The coaching staff seems to have just pulled the plug on <laughs> on that awful thing. And the season immediately, like immediately, immediately, uh, took a, a big upturn for Bay. So what changed is uh, he pretty much just went back to a role of uh, focusing primarily on his perimeter shooting and doing some creation from the interior you know just chiefly from the interior taking the ball inside the three-point line and and doing stuff with it so from that point on from games 27 to 82 uh, he averaged about 18 points on significantly higher true shooting i think about 56.7 percent sorry i wrote out this enormous outline <laughs> but i uh, oh, excuse me 56.4 percent true shooting and uh, his net rating improved quite a bit the team was pretty much just as good with or without him on the floor, which is, you know, here's what it is. Basically, he wasn't dragging the team down anymore. Uh, About 42% from the field, 36.5% from three. And from then on, he was the player everybody really expected him to be going into his sophomore season. And a good player, I'd say an unequivocally positive player. He had his strongest stretch of the season between mid-December and early January that included the COVID stretch uh, during which he hit that uh, game-winning three-pointer against the Spurs in my favorite game of the season. That was an awesome game. It was just uh, really Hamadou and Sadiq, and if you want to count Garza, you can. I mean, it, these were the three NBA, but the three players on NBA on an NBA roster, or on the, excuse me, on the Pistons NBA roster who were in that game. And uh, yeah, it was, it was just the Pistons. It, a roster of those three guys, basically just two real NBA players, and then Garza and a bunch of 10-day guys just scrapping their way to a win against the Spurs team, which had most of its players. So that was pretty great. And, of course, this stretch also ignited uh, my favorite bromance on the team between Bay and, and Hamadou Diallo. So whatever the case, between mid-December and early January, he averaged about 25 points per game, about 8.5 rebounds on that's 61.5% true shooting. Uh, fantastic, of course. You know, the fact that uh, that the COVID games were in the middle, you know, might change how you look at it a little bit because he was taking a tremendous, just a tremendously higher volume of shots and they were playing against uh, some not so great rosters. But nonetheless, it's a very, a very, very impressive stretch. You know, should not take that away from Bay. That was a very, very good stretch. So he was taking more shots. He, he was doing it on great efficiency and was getting to the line a lot more. So... And yeah, he had really taken on a leading role, really during the COVID stretch, of course, the leading role, but he had taken on a much bigger role in the offense. So that wasn't sustained. I mean, really tough to sustain that level of performance. And his usage did drop, of course, when when Kate Cunningham and uh, everybody else came back. <laughs> but there's a trend there. However, well, we'll get to the trends a little bit. Anyway, he moved on, had his 51-point game against Orlando in the final month of the season. That was fun to see. And uh, compared to last season, uh, just about 10% more unassisted offense, did a tremendous amount more from three versus two. I think he took two-thirds of his shots, or got two-thirds of his points from three uh, last season uh, versus just under 50% this past season. 
And still a player who, when left to his own devices, will make the right decision the vast majority of the time. Excellent work ethic on and off the courts. Is told after this season to get a life in the offseason, which he apparently did not. Uh, because, you know, by his account, by account of the others, he's just he's, he's working just as hard as ever. Loves basketball. It's his primary passion. And he wants to be working on it all the time. Great. Just a great team guy. Super hard worker. Uh, a leader, culture guy, etc. There's nothing not to love about Bay in terms of his character, and fortunately, we've we've got a lot of those guys in the Pistons now, and it's it's just wonderful. To, it's just wonderful to see. So, as far as Bay's trends, so still a guy who does his best work from three. He was tried a lot more on two point offense, and I'll, I'll note in in this segment, I'm, I'm just talking about segment two of his season. Segment one of his season was a complete and utter catastrophe. <laughs> So, and because he was being asked to do things for which that were just super difficult and which is probably not altogether very well suited. But yeah, so did most of his damage from three uh, in terms of, uh, you know, got about 50% of his points from there and uh, his efficiency was at its best from three. So he was more just a player who shoots a lot of threes and then uh, does some creation in the interior. And, And then of course, some unassisted offense in the interior as well. Uh, his He was unassisted on more than uh, 50% of his twos, however. That's notable. And unassisted on about one-third of his offense altogether, though he took very, still took very, very few unassisted threes. And in terms of his defense, still a good defender, or in my opinion was a good defender in the second segment of the season. Still has some work to do in some situations, but it's hard to, it's really hard to nail down because you always see Bay making the right decisions. <laughs> I think he's a, we'll put it this way. I think he's a plus defender. Uh, how much he'll actually improve beyond that. Who knows? He moves his feet very well and very quickly to stay with quicker guys. Uh, he has the strength to, to hang with a lot of bigger guys. And yeah, that that's where he was. So, Overall, in terms of creating offense, which is really the question with Bay going forward, where can he create offense? Like We know that uh, I think we can be confident going forward. He's going to continue to be a strong three-point shooter, though his consistency will hopefully improve. And uh, also, I'll continue saying, I said this before last season, that I think creation, or excuse me, motion three-point shooting is, is something he should really be working on. It's just a very, very valuable skill. We've, we've seen some of it. He's very good at those sidestep threes. There are some situations in which he comes off screens and shoots, but you, if we could see Bay get to the point at which he can navigate a screen, uh, grab a handoff, and take one of those, and take those sort of slightly off-balance threes right away, I mean, that's a super useful skill. It is extremely difficult to defend against that. And though Bay's not super hard to chase around screens, I mean, you, it just means that you've got an extra option and defenses also have to account for it. Though Bay is, in his own right, just has a great mind for getting himself open at the three-point line in general. Like I, I've told this story before, like last season, at the end of last season, excuse me, his, his rookie season, when the Pistons were just trying their level best to lose games, he would just wind up open at the three-point line constantly when the Pistons did not have many weapons. And I'd be kind of like face-palming, like, what is wrong with these defenses, like, cover the guy. I don't want the Pistons to win. <laughs> so yeah, he's just got a good mind for that also. But if he can shoot those motion threes, so much the better. But 
yeah, and if he can be that guy who shoots motion threes and he can and he's consistent from three point range on high volume, and I don't think that's unlikely at all, then uh, you know even that that's it's a very very valuable player who can also you know pitch in with some some playmaking for others uh, off the drive, which he improved that uh, I think quite a bit in this last season. Not he wasn't prolific at it, but he definitely can do it. Uh, and somebody who can just, you know, who knows where to be and can pitch in some, some spot creation in the interior and then just some general offense in the interior. But back to what he did as a creator. So what he improved at doing, uh, creation from the interior. So I mentioned that earlier on when I noted that the Pistons moved him in the second, uh, second segment of the season in terms of his creation, more from just doing it from the interior. So Bay's a strong player, like very well built. And so he would take the ball away on the low block and and then just bully his way to the basket. And he'd do it quickly enough that help didn't have time to arrive. So that's something he can do. Uh, he did some offense from the post, still struggles from there. Uh, most players do, however. But uh, when he'd try to post up, unfortunately, just do it along the baseline and try to back guys down and help would come. Help didn't come in his rookie season. And this last season, help came and then he found himself in trouble. But just getting himself to the basket... From the interior, when he didn't have to go far, he did well at that. Standstill mid-range. This is something that you saw more of as the season went on. Bay would just receive the ball in the interior, just uh, in a stationary position, and take a shot. And you know he can get a shot off through close coverage. And he did a decent job at that. That's a useful tool. And down the stretch of the season, a little bit of pull-up two-point shooting. On low volume, he did fairly well at it. That's tough to, to maintain. That's tough to do on high volume. It's just being a, a good pull-up two-point shooter on decent volume. There are very few guys who can do that, I think. Guys who were efficient, we're talking like in the realm of 47 48% on decent volume. Uh, and 48 7 48%. I mean, that, that's where you want to be if you're consistently shooting, you know, any shot that's like your minimum threshold uh, for efficiency, below which, <clears throat> well, 48% effective field goal percentage thereabouts. And from sort of self-created offense or for to really uh, difficult offense, like pull-up two-point shooting, which is generally self-created, yeah, if you're worse than that, uh, then you probably shouldn't be attempting it on, on significant volume. So guys in that category, I think there were 10 of them in the NBA. It's a very, and, and a lot of those guys were superstars. It's, it's very difficult to make it work. So where he continued to struggle, uh, reaching the basket. So as I mentioned, Bay's explosiveness, quite below average. His... Just his top speed off the drive, below average. And uh, that makes it difficult for him to get past people. And if he's attacking from the perimeter, it also means that help's going to have quite a bit of time to arrive. So he also just doesn't have the high-level handle that's generally required to compensate for those. His handle isn't bad, but it's not good either. And also, when he does get into the interior, has a really hard time elevating at the basket, which makes scoring there quite a bit more difficult. And uh, yeah, that's an issue. It's also something for which, in a way, the Pistons, in a way, Pistons fans should be grateful because it was those qualities that caused him to drop to number nineteen, where the Pistons were able to draft him. There are these questions: Well, look at these athletic, uh, look at these athletic concerns. He had trouble getting by guys, even in the NCAA. What's the ceiling? And a lot of teams thought, you know, clearly uh, to their regret at this point, thought a little bit too low of a ceiling. The Pistons got him outside the lottery. And fantastic. However, those athletic concerns still do merit consideration. They are a factor. So attacking off the bounce from the perimeter, 
even in the pick and roll, still not great. <clears throat> and will that improve? Hard to say. And just creating offense from the perimeter in general. This is something he struggled at doing. And no matter what part of the season you look, he struggled when he held on to the ball for too long. Uh, he was great when he shot within 2%, uh, excuse me, within 2%, uh, within two seconds of getting the ball, an effective field goal percentage of nearly 60%. That's great. Uh, once you get down to the two to six, uh, the M- NBA.com categorizes it into those three, less than two, two to six, and six plus. It gets significantly worse. Uh, he was actually trending toward decent from two, though. It was around 44.5% uh, from be- when he had possession between two and six seconds, which is definitely headed in the right direction. Significant improvement over the previous season in which he just didn't take many twos at all. But uh, can he improve that further to the point where he can be consistent? And again, 44.5%, this isn't said in the second segment of the season. Uh, can he improve that further to the point at which it is worth him trying to create two-point offense off the dribble? Like, can he improve that by like a solid 4 or 5%? <clears throat> so there's your question. And what's his ceiling is the question. Uh, you know, and, and who knows, with all respect to Bay's work ethic, improvement isn't perpetual. It isn't a, a linear process, and it ends at some point. And whether or not you want to include Bay's age in this equation, I don't know, it's anyone's decision, because he's about 23 years old. Uh, that said, uh, let's hear a very quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll complete the rest of the episode. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet of up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you get another shot to cash in. You can throw it on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlay spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. For example, you could bet on Major League Baseball, which is the only one of the four major sports leagues currently in operation. Well, currently playing games, put it that way. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet of up to $1,000. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Okay, so back to what Sadiq Bey's season, excuse me, ceiling might be. So we have those athletic considerations. And when you're... You have to take those into consideration as far as what his ceiling as a creator might be. Do you need to be a good creator in order to be a very valuable offensive player? No. You know, it's not a necessity. But if you can't, you'd better be, like, absolutely excellent at something else. If you want to be, like, one of those, you know, top three player, for example, in a championship team. And I think a question is, you know, a question that's often, that I see often asked amongst, you know, amongst Pistons fans on the internet, whatever, we can put it that way. But a, a persistent question is, is Bay good enough to be that number three guy in a championship team? And a number three guy in a championship team is pretty darn good. Like you look at recent winners, like the Bucks. you could argue it's either Middleton or Holiday. And they'd be kind of on the low end of that scale too, because Giannis is a perennial top three player. Uh, if you look at 2020, of course, that's the Lakers model. Well, I have two different models for the talent that you need on offense to win a championship. You need either your two superstars, that's AD and LeBron, or a superstar and two all-stars, like Giannis, uh, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton. Though the latter two are not really perennial all-stars by any means. So third best, in any case, yeah, third best player on a championship team is, is going to be a pretty darn good player. So but 
the way I look at Bay is can he be that third best guy in a championship team or is he just going to be a, a very good number four guy? Also very valuable. I think in, in either instance, Pistons fans, I would come away happy, put it that way. Fourth best player in a championship team is a very valuable guy. Right there, you're looking at, for example, what Mikal Bridges is, well, was to, to the Suns when they reached the finals. Whatever you think about that finals run, if you think that there are asterisks that should be there, and I would say that they are, there are, but whatever, it's kind of a moot point. So where could Bay conceivably improve as a creator, in my opinion? And number one, shooting pull-up threes. Like, if that's a skill that, that he can hone, fantastic. It, it's just another option for him, another thing that defenses need to worry about. Like, if he can grab, if he can get it at the, at the top, uh, you know, at, above the break, you know, the top of the key, and just take a couple of steps and nail that three-pointer, then cool, you have to defend him a lot more closely. And he also stands a better job. You know, not only is that just open up options, well, put it this way. At the very least, it gives him a much better shot of getting past his defender. But it's also just a weapon in his toolbox. Though that's kind of a funny way of putting it. Whatever the case, you get what I mean. So that could be very valuable in itself. Very good, very just very, very good skill to have. And if he can also expand that to being a good pull-up two-point shooter, then like fantastic. You've got a guy who can create a fair amount of offense, who has a definite weapon that's hard to defend against inside the arc, just that pull-up two-point shot. And that, too, would make it easier for him to actually penetrate to the basket because you got to guard him slowly then in the interior, excuse me, guard him closely then in the interior as well. Now, as I said earlier in the episode, that's a tall order, becoming a, a good pull-up two-point shooter. That's something that very, very few players can do. Can Bay do it? Who knows? I wouldn't give him a bad shot at it. Uh, I would just be pretty tentative about it because that's a lot to ask. And if he can't do it, then that's no, like, that doesn't reflect poorly on him. It's a very difficult thing to do at the NBA level. But I feel like if he can't do it, that's really going, I think that's, that's, it's going to be hard for him to be an effective interior creator if he can't do that. So where do you look for that third best guy in a championship team value if he can't do that? In, In that case, I think he probably just needs to be fully elite as a three-point shooter, like considerably higher percentage than he is right now, able to shoot those pull-up threes, able to shoot motion threes. Uh, But if he can't improve as a creator, and I I don't think that that creation is going to come from uh, just driving from the perimeter to the basket, I just don't think he has the tools to do that on a regular basis, uh, consistently and reliably, then, you know, the outlook probably declines significantly unless he is just that fantastic three-point shooter, fantastic all around. Again, number four guy in a championship team. That's a great outcome against his draft position, and that's a very good player. And on top of what Sadiq provides in the courts in, in terms of his scoring, in terms of on offense, he's always going to provide that, that tirelessly hard work, great character presence, that leadership, and he's just wise beyond his years. So as far as looking forward to next season, one thing that I think is interesting to consider is position. And of course, this will depend upon how the rotation shakes out, how the starting lineup looks. And the previous episode, I think two episodes ago, talked about lineups. I think there are two conceivably likely starting lineups to begin next season. One, if Dwayne Casey goes with spacing, like maximum spacing, you'd be looking at Cade, Ivy, Alec Burks, Bay, and Stewart. And the second, if 
Casey opts to include a solid role man and finisher in the lineup than Cade, Ivy, Bay, Bagley, and Stewart. So, of course, the first lineup has Bay playing power forward. Second lineup has Bay uh, playing lining up at small forward. And Bay played a lot of power forward last season while Jeremy Grant was out. Almost all of his minutes, in fact, to power forward. While Jeremy Grant was out, you had Hamadou uh, playing at small forward during that time. And it's up for debate which of the forward positions is better for him to play the majority of his minutes at. I feel like uh, I would be more partial to small forward because that allows him a matchup against uh, more players that he might be able to overpower in the interior. Also, there's less of an onus upon him to do a lot of rebounding. And rebounding, I don't think, is anything that Bay is likely to ever excel at. He's good at carving out position. Like, he's strong. Not going to be easily moved. And he boxes out, absolutely. And will do all the work he needs to do to get those rebounds. But he's only about six foot seven, and he's not a good leaper. And a lot of defensive rebounding in particular is just being the guy who can jump the highest, as long as you're willing to put in the work and box out and whatnot. Being able to jump the highest is an being able to jump high is an extremely useful skill in defensive and defensive rebounding offensive also but there's there's a little more that goes into it on the offensive end now this isn't to say that he can't he can't do a, a fair job at power forward as well we saw him do so i'm just talking in terms of the position that's going to most accentuate his strengths while minimizing his weaknesses because if you line him up a power forward for example at, like he's not going to benefit there from in terms of being able to attack from the perimeter like you did with Tobias Harris for example like okay you put Tobias Harris at power forward and originally when he was playing power forward I mean he was fairly small for the position but it's like okay he's got this quick first step you know he might suffer on defense against uh, against stronger guys but he's got this quick first step it's going to let him beat the average power forward off the dribble and now, of course, Tobias is not small for power forward but I digress this isn't a situation in which it's like okay well you know, Bay is playing against slower players at power forward, and he's going to be able to beat them more easily off the dribble than he would small forwards. That's not really a strength. And you play him a power forward in the interior is going up against stronger guys than he would at small forward. In terms of uh, that sort of creation I was speaking about earlier, where you give him the ball like on the low block and then let him bully his way to the basket. And then you've also got this sort of bloated rotation of power forward where you've got... At center, you've got Noel and Stewart and Duran, and maybe you see some power forward minutes from Stewart. And at power forward, you've got Bagley and maybe Olenek. Yeah, so I think Bay is likeliest to see the majority of his minutes at small forward. I think the likeliest starting lineup is the one that includes Bagley. And the second question is, what is Bay's usage going to look like next season? So Jeremy Grant is gone, which means a lot of usage just became available. However, you're also adding Ivy to the roster. Ivy who would be replacing what was last season Corey Joseph starting at shooting guard is presumably going to eat up a fair amount of usage. Cade's going to eat up quite a bit of usage, possibly more than last season. Whether it's Burks or Bagley, I mean, either of those guys is going to be taking a fair number of shots. And Stewart also, by all indications, is going to be asked to shoot the ball more. So is Bay going to be taking more shots this season than he was last season? I doubt it. And it'll be interesting to see exactly how he's used. Now that you've got another guy in Ivy who should be able to create offense off the dribble. You know, another guy in terms of not just Cade. Uh, though Grant could do it also. So, uh, But Grant was also out for about half the season. 
And if you've got Bagley in the lineup at power forward, I mean, I think Bagley, the real hope is that he'll be able to shoot, but also you, you'll have him doing a fair amount of work as far as the finishing in the interior, which Stewart didn't really do. doesn't really do a ton of just because Stewart isn't really super ideally suited to be a finisher in the interior. As far as just the difficulty of getting on the, you know, getting him in the ball in some situations and can't play above the rim and so on and so forth. Bagley, on the other hand, is, is a pretty darn strong finisher. So it'd be interesting to see what Bay's role looks like. And I wouldn't be surprised if he did really focus on that motion three-point shooting and just expanding his repertoire as a perimeter shooter. And of course, trying to build on the things he did well in the interior in this past season. So all told, I think it'll be an interesting season to watch where Sadiq is concerned because at this stage, he's in his third season. It's going to be his age 23 to 24 season. And for a lot of players, this is where you start to see what they're going to be in the NBA long-term. So that'll be all for today's episode. As always, folks, thanks for listening. Catch you next time.